Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Just a few days ago, we released our new 1920 Blister Winter Buyer's Guide, and given that it is over 200 pages long, there's a lot to talk about. So we're actually going to be splitting this conversation up into two parts, and here in part one, we're going to be talking about some of our Blister Best Of selections, and some of the products that just missed the cut and why, and we also discuss some general trends and some of our takeaways from putting this big book together. And then for part two, we are inviting all of you to submit some questions about the guide or some questions related to the guide, and we will answer some of those questions in the second part of this conversation in a week or two, and we will also get into a few more topics of our own choosing. And if you'd like to pick up a limited edition print copy of our buyer's guide, you can order that on our website at blisterreview.com. We always hear about what good coffee table books these buyer's guides make, and this year the good news is that Sam Shaheen is not on the cover of the guide, so you know, bonus. The other way to get yourself a print copy of the guide is to become a Blister member. Blister members can opt to receive the print edition of the guide, and you will also get access to all of our flash reviews and our deep dive comparisons, and you can email us with any gear questions you might have to get our personalized recommendations. And that's not all, you also get access to a number of exclusive deals and discounts from a whole range of manufacturers, so that if you use any of those deals or discounts, the Blister membership literally more than pays for itself. So get the print edition of the guide, save some money on gear, support the independent work that we do here at Blister. In short, there are a lot of great reasons to become a Blister member. So for more information on becoming a Blister member, just check out the top of our website where it says, very helpfully, become a Blister member. Anyway, let's now get to part one of our conversation about our new buyer's guide. And remember to please leave us your comments or questions either in the comments section of this episode on the site or send us a DM on Instagram. And we'll also include a link in the show notes and you can just email us from there. Lots of ways to contact us. And with that, here is our conversation from Blister HQ in Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte. And we'll let Sam Shaheen get things started. So here we are after a, what probably wasn't as painful as a week as it often is, though I'm probably not the best one to make that (laughs) observation. Um, We've just put out our buyer's guide for 1920 season, the winter buyer's guide that is. And, uh, I guess, Luke, let's start with you. How does it feel to have that out of your life finally? Um, good. I think my brain has a habit of uh, just blacking out all memories from it, and I'm already <laughs> forgetting everything, um, just like I do every year. So mostly I'm just really, really excited to go skiing. Didn't you go skiing like two days ago, Luke? Uh, yeah, the day after we took the guide live. I went skiing. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, <laughs> it was technically snow, I guess. It was frozen water, at least. <laughs> he he actually biked to ski. And then I ran wow. into some cows who tried to eat my hitch cover. 
Um, yeah, it was nice. That is nice. What I did actually was, um, I just kind of wandered out of Blister HQ and I realized that I'd kind of only left Elevation Hotel like two or three times in 10 days. And so I walked outside and was like, my God, all the leaves have turned and it's (laughs) glorious out here. And it was just kind of like a bomb shelter type situation. And I had a lovely like two hour walk where I just like looked around and it was, it was pretty great. So we're all very happy that you're looking out for your mental health there, Jonathan. Um, Thanks. So I think what we're going to do for this buyer's guide debrief is break it into two kind of quick and dirty podcast parts. Um, We're going to go through the first part with just um, me, Jonathan and Luke today, but we're also going to be collecting questions from our listeners for part two. So there'll be a link in the, in the show notes for this episode, go through, submit your questions and we'll get to them in part two of this podcast. Um, But first let's talk about best of. This is always kind of a contentious topic this time of year, but there's a bunch of skis that didn't make the cut. There's a bunch of skis that did make the cut. Uh, Maybe Jonathan, do you want to start off and talk about skis that narrowly missed it? Yeah, I think looking at the list, one of the biggest questions, and I think the ski that I personally felt the most bad about not including was the Nordic Enforcer 104. And the way that I thought about this was we did give the Fisher Ranger 102 a best of award. I really think both of those skis are outstanding. And so the question was, all right, well, so why did the Fisher Ranger 102 get in and not the Enforcer 104? And basically my take on that is that there was no way I was going to bump out the Enforcer 100. I, th- I really like the Nordica Enforcer 104. I still really like the Nordica Enforcer 100. And I think that it seemed like it was going to be one or the other there. Frankly, both could have been in. But I felt more strongly about keeping the OG... Nordica Enforcer 100. We still think that's a ski that a ton of different skiers can get on and go have a great day. Um, and so, yeah, ironically, uh, a ski that hasn't changed in like five seasons got the nod over a brand new ski. Isn't that kind of the, the, the whole idea there? I think we say it in the intro that if there's two products that are close and we've been on, have we had more time on one than the other one, we're going to go with the one that we know better, you know, and that I guess in this case might be the Enforcer 100. Yeah. And I, I think maybe that, yeah, that's a hundred percent what we say. It's just in such kind of stark contrast to how so many of these awards like tend to get doled out from different publications. It's like, whatever has only been around for 15 seconds, that's the thing that is going to get, you know, all these blue ribbons and stuff. Not exactly how we do things, but I do still think that Enforcer 104 is really good. So does Luke. And per usual, you, Sam, are the only one who has, (laughs) you know, some misgivings. But uh, 
uh, by now I think our listeners know how to calibrate <laughs> for your opinions. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> but interestingly though, so I will say you're right. I'm not a huge fan of the Enforcer 104. I do think it's a great ski, but it doesn't really work great for my skiing style, for my preferences. But the ski that I kind of wish had made the cut in best of that didn't end up getting in best of was the Mindbender 108, the K2 Mindbender 108, um, which is actually kind of has a similar, um, if you will, a similar vibe to the Enforcer 104. Um, no, it in, in that, <laughs> Well, no, they do. I mean, the Mindbender 108 is a lot softer, I think, all around and a bit more forgiving, but it has that kind of damp metal feel. You can push it. You can kind of sit in the middle of it. It's it's it, it, it's got kind of a, you know, it responds to a neutral stance well as a driven stance. And it's a ski that I really, really got along well with. And I think a lot of people would get along well with as well. Um, but just missing out, you know? Yeah. And by the way, that is, we're going to maybe talk about this probably actually in part two, more on like what skis are we looking forward to spending more time on? The crazy thing about this past season, I think all my time on the Mindbender 108 was like in super deep pow. Yeah. And so every time we would come to talk about the stability of, like Luke and I had this conversation, I think about 20 times. Yeah, at least. And Luke kept wanting to say like, nah, dude, that thing has got really nice suspension you know, really good stability. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then it'd be like, wait, I only skied it in like two to three feet of pow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had to reconvince you of the stability of that ski like 20 times at least. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's interesting. And I mean, I do, I actually am pretty proud of that element of it. And furthermore, Luke was like, dude, I got 10 days on that ski. At least. At least. But I was going to say, 10 days just in more firm mm-hmm. conditions. And uh, I think our process and the kind of behind the scenes part of it, these are exactly the kinds of conversations we have. And, you know, we, we do this kind of triangulation, you know, and if somebody's got a lot of time on a ski in a specific condition that we are wondering about, he who has the most time you know, we generally go with that, go with their suggestion or recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, unless that person is me. Right. (laughs) And we just move on. (laughs) Right. That's not entirely true. It's mostly true. No, no, no. We, we just, I, I, I I think I I just have to be a little bit more um, assertive sometimes to, to get my point across. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, One other ski, Jonathan and I, I know, and you and I, Sam, had talked about this, the the new Vocal Mantra 102, um, despite all three of us having pretty different skiing styles, that's a ski that we were all really impressed by, um, but it, it wasn't in best of this year, and at least for me, that comes down mostly to length. Um, we skied it in a 184 centimeter, which I got along well with, but I was mostly skiing it in pretty open terrain in the spring because that's when we got it um and i'm really curious about the 177 centimeter especially as like a daily driver at crested butte where we ski a lot of steep techie stuff um so i think that's a case where we would love to get more time especially on a shorter length of it um before kind of giving it that nod yeah and i i would second that as well that mantra 
102 is in that 184 centimeter length first of all it's a tank mm-hmm. you know that's that 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 thing likes to go straight and fast and um and it's so fun i've had a great time on that ski but if that shorter length that 177 is anything like the 177 mantra m5 then i think everyone at blister is gonna really really like that ski so we're psyched to get on a shorter length yeah that Mantra 102 is freaking amazing. I love everything about that ski. And I totally agree with what you two just said. And it's interesting, if, if I was putting together a quiver, in thinking specifically about the lengths, um, Sam, when you say the, the Mantra 102 in a 184 is a tank, I would agree, but I mean that as a lovely compliment. <laughs> You know, and <laughs> I think for me, I would definitely take a Mantra M5 in a 177, and I would definitely take the Mantra 102 in a 184 in, as part of my own personal quiver. But that ski, I think the hesitation for us was I don't think that a ton of skiers out there should be on that 184 mantra 102 so i think that's maybe i think you guys would agree with this now if you drop to a 177 or a shorter length that ski might really open up in terms of its accessibility versatility and the like i suspect that's the case but i it'd be great if we can get on one of those shorter lengths but yeah i somehow felt like i mean we did give the mantra m5 a best of award that ski is wonderful but yeah if that that mantra 102 and a 184 feels like a bit more of a reserve selection ski somehow mm-hmm. yeah i think my question is just will the 177 offer pretty similar or very similar or not very similar stability and how different will like the accessibility and the quickness of the ski change um if it can be significantly easier and quicker without being significantly less stable I think that's an easy best of, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, completely. And and in that 177, if if the ski behaves like you just described, Luke, it might be the one of the perfect CB skis. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. By the way, it is just still so interesting. You know, we just got done talking about the Nordica Enforcer 100. I've only skied that ski in a 185. And when I was just talking about how we could put a ton of different skiers on that ski, I meant the 185. Mm-hmm. And is this is just another example where a 184 vocal mantra 102 feels like a lot more ski than a 185 centimeter Enforcer 100. Despite them not actually being that different in terms of weight, mm-hmm. like maybe 100 grams-ish. But yeah, yeah, like I would put way more people on the Enforcer 100 than the 102. And it's just interesting. I mean, if you're a consumer out there, how do you go figure this out? You read our buyer's guide. Yeah. (laughs) I guess uh, so. Yeah. But I think that is something where obviously we try to really explain that or make that clear, and hopefully we have. But, I mean, we're just simply right about that. And it does strike me that so many of the buyer's guides I've seen will just never point to a 
really obvious and clear sense of like, yo, if you like this ski in this length, it's not direct across the board. So, okay, I'm switching topics. I want to ask you guys, which products do you think have the best chance of earning their way into a best of award once we get more time on them? For me, there are definitely, we've gotten a lot of products in the past few weeks that because we got them in like August or September, we haven't spent time on yet. So I won't include those, even though there are several I'm excited about. But one ski I have been able to very briefly get time on is the new Moment Wildcat 108. Pretty excited about the ski, one, because it's based off of the Wildcat 116 or the standard Wildcat, um, which many of us really like, including myself. And two, I mean, since I like so much about the regular Wildcat, but it's 116 millimeters underfoot, a narrower version makes a lot more sense as a ski I could use very often, like almost every day. Um, And I have been able to get, I think, three days of skiing again in air quotes um on the wildcat 108 and i mean initial impression is just that it feels really really similar to the 116 and it has a lot of traits i like in an everyday ski um a lot of rocker progressive mount point but i can still drive it um it's pretty light for its size but i guess nowadays is almost like average in terms of weight um coming around 2000 grams for 184 um, so that's one ski that I'll be getting on right away as the lifts start spinning here and definitely one I have very high hopes for. Yeah, I think we all have high hopes for that ski. I, I can't wait to get some time on it. That thing looks that thing looks rad. Um, but for me, the ski that I think probably has maybe not the best chance of getting a best of award, but maybe the best chance of like of solidifying the, the idea that it has like serious mass appeal is the Solomon QST 106. Amen. We got to ski it a decent amount. And I think that this ski is going to, it's going to be a kind of a ski that a lot of people are going to be able to get along with. Well, I know I really want to get some more time on it in firm conditions to really sort of like figure out what that, what that top end, what the, what the, what the dampness of that ski is like, but initial impressions on that ski are, are, are strong. I think it's going to be a really cool ski. I totally agree with that. And I have a bit of a hot take on both the Solomon QST 99 and 106. I think for so many years now, people have kind of talked about Sam's beloved Rosignol Soul 7 as kind of being this ski that like, oh yeah, just put anybody on it and oh yeah, you see a ton of them in the resort and whatever, there's a million of them in lift lines. The QST 99 and 106 are two skis that you should see uh, like a million people on in lift lines. And one of the things that I like about these tweaked, the, the tweaked QST 99 and 106 is that they are actually a little bit heavier. And so the Soul 7, I, I mean, again, Sam, I actually think correctly, has sung the praises of that ski, but Sam's also an extremely dynamic skier um, who's able to maximize the quickness of that Soul 7 in the way that I don't actually think 
less good skiers can. And so I think the additional weight and the additional stability of the QST 99 and 106, I think there are skis that experts can get on and have a really good time, but I would be more comfortable recommending those skis to less experienced skiers than I would the even lighter Soul 7. That's my hot take. Point is, QST 99 and 106, the new Soul 7. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, my so I also got along really well with those skis. Um, my main question or kind of thing I want to learn is how the 188 centimeter versions compare. Um, Cause really my only question is what is like, how does the 188's top end stability compare to the other ones in the class? Because ev- apart from that question, which I, th- I think it will be quite good. There's nothing to not like about them in my opinion, really. They're really good. All I want is for Solomon to now make one with a minus six mount and a twin tail. <laughs> like a Solomon every QST, ski. <laughs> a QST 106 free. Perhaps. There we go. Oh my god, <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about this. Let's finish up our talk of best of okay. first. Um, so Jonathan, what's 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 your best chance product for for getting in the best of once you get more time in it? Well, I mean, I just mentioned the QST 99 and 106, but. I'm very interested to get more time on the ON3P Woodsman 108. Uh, I think we all are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, I think I know, I feel like I know what that ski does in everything other than really steep, techy, moguled out, weird terrain. That's about the only question I have left, but that's a big question for me. Yeah. Yeah, likewise, I really got along well with that this spring, and in a funny way, like that and the Wildcat 108 are kind of like up at the high, at the top of my list for skis I really want to get on, and that could be kind of a daily driver for me, despite them being very different in terms of weight, but everything else about each design I really like. Um, so those are definitely two skis that I could see myself liking a whole lot. Yeah, and I'll 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 come in in third that woodsman comment. I I also got along really well with that ski, and it kind of goes along with the with the same same theme that we see in that prior CBC, for example, of pretty forgiving shapes that are also pretty stiff, and uh, and heavy. That woodsman and 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 heavy, yeah, absolutely. And that woodsman 108 is all those things, mm-hmm. and I I had a great time on it. I'm psyched to get more time on that ski. Yeah, lots of fun skis to get on. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. So to uh, wrap up, best of. Let's pick one standout product for each of us that you would say like is the best of best of. Yeah. <laughs> New award. I New award. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first cuz I'm I'm worried that Luke might take my answer so I'll I'll cut him off at the pass. Um that Technica 0G Tour Pro boot is so freaking good. We said last year that that boot would have been our product of the year, if not for the fact that Solomon and Atomic came out with the revolutionary shift binding, which I'm still extremely high on. And so, yeah, with more time in that Technica Zero G Tour Pro, 
again, people, you know, figure out if it fits your foot and what you're trying to do, what you need out of an AT boot and all that. But man, more time has only kind of underscored how good of a product that is. That's mm -hmm. my take. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a dedicated touring boot, that is easily my, still my top choice after touring on it a lot more this past year. And I'm particularly excited because we just got a few Intuition liners. And one thing that, like one of the only downsides to that boot for me is that I don't get like a perfectly tight fit. Um, and I wouldn't mind a slightly plusher or thicker liner. Um, I think mostly to fill up some space, but we've got, um, right now we got the tour wrap and the pro tour and a pro wrap. I think I'm going to like my time in the zero G maybe even more in the tour wrap or pro tour. Um, so eager to try those out. Hmm. So is that your answer? You picked the same one as Jonathan? No, no. I mean that, boot is amazing but my, my answer is pretty easily the Rossignol Black Ops 118 damn it I forgot about that I thought that's what you were gonna say but um yeah so that ski that ski and the Lion Sir Francis Bacon were by far the most surprising skis to me and probably the ones that I just vaguely had the most fun on um in very different ways the Black Ops 118 super heavy pretty stiff but just the most fun chop ski I have ever used. And like I would use it for a day or two and then go to some other skis and I'd be like, is it still that good? And then I'd get on it and I'm like, yep, it's still amazing. <laughs> I maybe I'll treat myself and let myself use that ski on the first day here when it's just like super firm snow because it still carves really well. <laughs> that ski is really, really good. And we were having a debate whether that was just going to be product of the year. Mm -hmm. And Luke was like, well, I don't know. Sam's not that high on it. And I was like, God damn it. Sam. <laughs> that ski is, it's, it's great. I mean, you guys love it. I get it, but it is so heavy. Like it is, it is a, it is a lot of work to ski that ski. All I hear is Sam is weak and yep. Luke and Jonathan are strong. <laughs> yeah. And he makes Sam over there. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean it's it's definitely not for everyone, but I was I was surprised by how quickly I adjusted to the weight of that ski. It's a remarkable product. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I mean, I love that ski. Mhm. Mm All right, Sam, what's yours? Not that anyone cares, but Sam, <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's kind of a toss-up because I was actually talking to Luke a few weeks ago and I I made the comment that I think that the vocal mantra m5 is the like objectively best product in the guide um that's obviously not a statement that one could back up <laughs> but i really do like that ski and that's although it's not maybe my first choice to ski every day i think it's just an incredibly well-made and well-rounded ski yeah that that i think can work for a lot of people including me including jonathan which is saying something mm -hmm. <laughs> um but I'm also such a huge freaking fan of the Patagonia hard face, the tech face R1 line, the hoodie and the pullover, both of which are incredible pieces of apparel that just like, I rarely, rarely leave my house for a touring day without one of those in my pack. And um, since Luke picked a ski, maybe I'll pick the, maybe I'll pick the tech face instead, but it's, it's, it's a toss up for me. Yeah, that thing is rad. And it, I think it is worth noting 
Our apparel section did get a little smaller this year in Best Of, I believe. Um, and mostly because a lot of our favorite products got discontinued. My favorite inbounds jacket, the open wear kit, um, is no longer available. I'll still wear it this season. But um, And then like the Patagonia Descensionist line also got discontinued. So I know Sam and I are very, very excited to try out a lot of new options that will be kind of vying for those spots next year. Yeah, no, it's really, really upsetting. Two of my favorite shells were discontinued too. One from Black Diamond, one from the North Face. So yep. um, I'm psyched to, to, well, yeah, it's just an excuse to get more outerwear, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on? I mean, do you think these companies just weren't selling these products? I think we have a tendency to appreciate or love or be obsessed with products that fit particular niches. And... I, th- I mean, I think one issue, is particularly in the touring category, is Sam and I are both fully committed to the idea that, at least for like the Rockies in Colorado, you don't need a fully waterproof shell for touring. Having one that's really breathable is way more useful in most cases, but it's really hard to market that. And most people just want their jacket to be waterproof, and breathability is kind of just like they deal with it. Um, I think that's one issue that causes companies to discontinue things like the old Patagonia knife blade and the old dissensionist line now, and hopefully it doesn't happen to the tech face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and rest in peace, Patagonia knife blade. Yeah. Um, and luckily, <laughs> luckily, luckily Patagonia is expanding the tech face line, which makes it mm-hmm. seem like that there is, there is some, you know, some, some consumer backing there, but Another thing that makes the apparel industry a bit different than the ski industry, I mean, it's the same reason why ski skis get new graphics every year. Um, a lot of times new colorways will come through, but apparel is a fashion industry and there's mm-hmm. just a little bit more, uh, a little bit more season to season variation and things like that. So people want, people want new stuff that looks new and cool and companies do it. So it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've still got a pair of old Patagonia Alpine guide pants, the power shield pro ones that have are like 25% patches, but they still work. So people, if you find a product (laughs) you like, make it last. Yeah. That like that knife blade kit. Oh man. I was just thinking about that earlier today. (laughs) Getting all hot and bothered. (laughs) Yeah. You two won't shut up about the knife blade kit. It's like four years later. You're like, I just poured one out today for the (laughs) knife blade kit. I feel like it gets brought up at least once a week when Sam and I talk. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's probably true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, enough of that. Uh, do you want to go through and make some uh, some uh, random observations about, about um, buyer's guide-related things? One thing that I found just really annoying me this year was this addition of the word free or FR to, I don't know, almost everything it started to seem like. But so, look, dear Nordica, (laughs) I've been a real proponent of this whole enforcer line you got going on. Now that you are starting to, I don't even, what, Luke, where do they put the word free? Well, at Outdoor Retailer, it was the Enforcer 104 free. And then they changed it sometime between then and now. So it's now the Enforcer free 104. They apply it to the 104, the 110, and the 115. Like, it's as if I just decided one day, hey guys, from now on, I'm going to go by Jonathan Free Ellsworth. 
you just be like, no, you will never go by that. And I feel like, first of all, I know why they're doing it. I just still don't agree with it. It's like, look, it's free. That is not a universal way to identify that a ski has a twin tail. So just, we were good when it was called the Enforcer 88 and the 93 and the 100 and the 104 and the 110 and the 115. People can figure this out, I think. Yeah, I think, I don't I don't personally have a problem with it. Uh, I think it makes sense from an organizational perspective of the line. I think it makes it easier to explain the differences rather than someone coming into a shop and saying, hey, what's the difference between the Enforcer 100 and the 110? Instead no, of saying, they will do that anyway. 100% they will do that. You solved nothing. It's easier to generalize. So like the 104, 110, 115 all have deeper rocker lines, more tail splay. Anyway, I'm... I think it makes more sense in Ranger or the, in Fisher's Ranger line because the FR Ranger skis, one, they also have a twin tip, but two, their construction is significantly different than the TI skis. So that, I think it makes sense. And no, everyone is not doing it. I think it was two lines of skis for this year. Well, I'm mad at both, but I'm more mad at Nordica. All right. I, the FR, for the reasons you just said, on the Ranger series, that bothers me less. Okay. Let's make everything more cumbersome, clunky, and inelegant. I will say it made my job much more annoying trying to change all those names yeah. and make sure they're in the right syntax order. Oh, man. I, I have opinions, but I'm just going to stay out of this one, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I have an observation. Um, my observation... This cover shot of the ski boot section is a sick shot of Luke doing a flat three or rodeo three or up for interpretation access three. And every time I see that shot, I'm like, oh, sick. And then like my my eye just gets immediately drawn to his hand, his, his left jazz hand, which hands? is like full on jazz hand. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's really like a punchline to this other than um, sick shot Luke work on your jazz hands. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I wear mittens like 99% of the time specifically for that reason. <laughs> and then it was like 45 degrees, so I did not wear mittens. And it looks like I'm missing a finger, I'm pretty sure. It does look like you're missing a finger, yeah. You wear yeah. mittens to hide your jazz hands? <laughs> Kinda. I like that. Hey, know thyself, right? <laughs> yeah. Luke always skis with jazz hands. <laughs> yeah. Now you can just look at me skiing picture my jazz hands underneath my mittens that's why they get stretched out so fast <laughs> luke what do you got um i don't know i was just looking at the when we finally finished the guide i kind of forgot about the back cover and then i remembered what picture i get to use for it and it was <laughs> only one of many frames from a spectacular tomahawk sequence um under paradise cliffs at crested beat this year and basically it was it was a cliff I'd hit a couple times before, and it was yet again another super deep day. And I happened to be on skis that are a little bit short for me in powder. They were 183 centimeters long. And you can see in the sequence, there's the the shot where I impacted the snow. The I'm standing straight up, and so is my ski tip. It had essentially like folded in half, and then the rest are just me tomahawking through the snow and our back covers. <laughs> me halfway under the snow it's a good picture 
I, I want to pat myself on the back a little bit for that because mm-hmm. I was the one who took that shot. <laughs> yeah. And in the face of Luke appearing to be dying, <laughs> I kept the camera rolling. Good for you, Sam. <laughs> I think you still, I think you got like two of the tomahawks. I think like six of them are not in the camp or in the pictures because I went that long. <laughs> But it was nice. Noted and soft. for for future use. Yeah, yeah I'll, just keep I'll, I'll holding just, I'll just it Keep down. going until you stop. <laughs> yeah, just keep keep shooting, Sam. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna actually leave it at that for now, and we're gonna come back with part two, and in part two, we will answer some of your pressing questions which will probably mostly be about Luke's jazz hands. (laughs) We're also maybe going to talk about some ski descriptions and assessments that we saw from other buyer's guides. Uh, I think we mentioned this briefly in the reviewing the reviewer conversation Mm -hmm. we had, but there definitely was a moment, I forget which side of midnight it was, when... Luke and I were just kind of screaming and outraged at, um, there still are publications out there writing just patently false things about uh, brand new product. So we, we might go through a couple of our, I don't know if we should say favorites or least favorite uh, descriptions. Kind of both. <laughs> kind of both. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to have a series of other questions, including some other thoughts on gear that we're most interested in skiing uh, this coming season and stuff like that. So with that, send in your questions and we will talk to you all real soon. And I guess I should say, hurry up and get your orders in if you would like the print edition of the the buyer's guide. It is a limited edition run and, uh, you know, hurry up. Well, Luke and Sam, as always, uh, it's been a pleasure and talk to you guys real soon. Cool. Thank you. Sounds good. Bye-bye. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Now be sure to go order your print edition of the guide or just become a Blister member and you can get one that way too and a bunch of other great stuff. Finally, I want to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Gear 30 episodes or any of our other podcasts, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little rating or review in iTunes and spread the word to your gearhead friends. Thanks, everybody. Please be safe out there, and we will talk to you again next week.